And once we get that right, which is for me the most important thing, that they have, first of all, respect. The second one is commitment. The third one, passion. Those three ingredients are non-negotiable. Hello and welcome into the Non-Negotiables podcast. I'm Gavin and I'm here today with Pascal. How you doing, Pas? How you doing, Gav? Good, mate. Good, good. Um, so, lots going on this week. We've got some transfer stuff that we'll get straight into and then we'll take a look at the fixtures after that. That all right with you? Sounds good. All right, let's do it then. So let's start with uh, let's start with a big one. Um, Declan Rice. We've had the first bid rejected of 80 million plus something or other the moron on sky sports is calling it embarrassing i don't know who it's embarrassing for um but uh yeah the structure of the deal wasn't right i I think this is you know past this is just a case of the first bid always gets rejected right if the first bid ain't rejected then you did the first bid wrong were these those same superb journalists that were with their great insights on the tomiyasu Exactly uh, the same, uh, Keve or whatever yeah. his name is. I, I don't ever remember an 80 million bid being derisory anyway. I mean, it's just like nonsense. Um, you know, usually you start a little bit lower, don't you, to in to, to try and get some form of negotiations. I wouldn't read too much into that, would you? No, my, my feeling is the same as it's been all the way along, really. I, I think this is going to end up being 90 plus 10. Um, mm. there'll obviously be a little bit of back and forth about how, how the payments are made and when they're made. Um, but I think this is one that I'm still pretty confident gets done. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think um, I think they've kind of got the feelers out, so to speak, Arsenal, in terms of where West Ham are at. And understand, it's like when you, I mean, if we want to put it to the analogy of buying a home, um, you know, you kind of know what the price is, you know what your budget is, and you don't generally, unless there's, you know, multiple bidders, you don't always go in at listing price. You go in a little bit less because you're hoping for some form of negotiation. So it seems like that's kind of what they're doing. And uh, um, I, I I think the, the talk of City, I'm not trying to say it doesn't exist, but I think it does come kind of coincidentally after they make their first bid. So it it, it just has the feeling of, Perhaps that being someone of West Ham getting that out to try and uh, increase Arsenal's bid. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a couple of things on this. I think. I mean, first off, I, I think West Ham are a little bit disappointed that Rice has has made it so clear where he wants to go because I think it kind of cut the legs out from under him. And I I think they were open for like 150 million. Um, yeah. But I think with Rice being so clear about where he wants to play. I think it stopped the auction that West Ham were hoping for. And I, I think that has obviously displeased them. Um, the second thing here is that I don't know if the if the Man City interest is genuine or not, but I'm telling you this now. Man City, they may have unlimited money, but they don't throw stupid money at players like this. That's just not their way. They will quite happily walk away from a deal. They did it with Cucurella. They did it with... Uh, Alexis Sanchez. They did it to an extent with Ronaldo. There's a limit to where Man City will go. Man City are not Chelsea. They're not Man United. They're not just going to throw 120 million at a player because that's what a club wants. But they would throw big lumps of money at wages, though. 
Um, yeah, wages, wages, they, they obviously they'll blow us out of the water on, on wages for sure. But, yeah. but City haven't built this by just paying fortunes for players. They do haggle no. and they do have a point where they'll walk away. No, that's true. That's true. They, um, they, they don't seem to be too as gung ho as like Chelsea have been over the last year, especially, or, um, even Man United to some extent. Um, so yeah, that that I I don't think they. It's also I think Jacob Steinberg touched on it, who's very big in West Ham um, info, and he even said that you know he's not really a priority of Man City. Uh, he's also decided personally that he wants to join Arsenal. So it, it just seems like a smokescreen. I, I don't think there's any much to read into that. No, I, I would agree with that. I mean, if he goes to Man City, what's he going to do? Replace Calvin Phillips and he's, he's 70 minutes this season mm. in the team? You know, I don't know. He's he's not going to play in front of Rodri. Um, so he's certainly not a replacement for Gundogan. So where do you, you know, where does he go? I, I just, Declan Rice doesn't seem to me the sort of player that's going to be happy with the Calvin Phillips role. Um, I know that part of the thing was apparently West Ham were, kind of keen on Calvin Phillips and Calvin Phillips is not so keen on going to West Ham, which, which I mean, you kind of get it like, yeah, you've just won a treble, but did Calvin Phillips really win anything? Yeah. Uh, it, it just kind of, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not really too bothered about um, what they've been saying about Man City's interests. And I don't, I can't, I just can't see the logistics of it. Um, in in terms of what people are touting, I think Arsenal have been working on this for a considerable amount of time now, um, and I think they've got the player on side. Um, okay, you could argue that maybe with Mudrick they had him also on side, but it all came down to what Chelsea offered. But I think goes back to your point. I don't know if Man City are willing to go at that price point for a player that they don't necessarily need. You can argue they needed Haaland, or you could argue, yeah, that's what they needed up front. But in a position where they have one of the best midfielders there anyway, it doesn't seem like it makes sense to me. No, no, I would agree. I, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think at the end of the day, I think by by this time next week, he'll probably be an Arsenal player. Um, yeah, I think he's going to so. pretty much end up where we think ninety plus ten. Um, and um, you know, and I've heard a few people talking about the fee and the size of the fee, and you know, and let me let me say right now, I'm going to contradict myself on this about fifty times during during this pod. But to me, the the fee is just just irrelevant. To be quite honest with you, I mean, if Arteta wants the player. Um, I think we've got to do what we can to make it happen. And I also think that we're not on the inside of these deals, right? So I think when fans see a fee and they make up their mind about this and that, it's really not a very informed opinion, is it? I, I mean, I just, I've got to the point now where I just don't really care about transfer fees too much. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it on the right side, I, I'm not really too focused on that because I think it, I think everyone knows it's a position that we really need someone in, and and also he's a quality player as well. There's no doubt that's a signature signing for us. It's not a Pepe. Um, he's not coming from another league. Um, he's coming from a league that obviously is the same league. He's uh, an international player. He definitely can play that role. He's been West Ham's outstanding player of the season. Um, so I, I think it's a signature signing. It makes sense because it's where we need a player and you can see why Arteta likes it. 
But my question to you is then, would you have that same thought process with Harvard's? So if they bought in for 60 million, would you think like that as well? Because that for me is more difficult to swallow. It, it, I mean, it, it kind of is. And, and I was I was actually, this is the natural point anyway that I was going to get onto anyway. And you, you do kind of feel like we've Havertz. There's a couple of things at play with Havertz, right, when it comes to the fee. First off, he's been a flop at Chelsea. Right, you, you you can't deny that. His first season was pretty good. He was man of the match in the Champions League, scored the winner. Since then, he's been poor. Mm. But Chelsea have also been poor and they're a fucking mess. So I don't know how much you can really draw from that. But you don't want to help Chelsea out, right? Chelsea are in trouble with FFP. Yeah. And I, I really think you, at this point, any club going to Chelsea for one of their players has all of the leverage, all of it. Not not a little bit, not, you know, we might be able to take a bunch of this. You have all of the leverage. They have to get rid of players. They want Caicedo. From what I'm hearing, we are no longer in the Caicedo race. And I read that uh, that Brighton are looking for $120 million for Caicedo. Um, so Chelsea are going to need some money for that. And that's where, again, personally, I don't care about the fee. I don't care if it's $60 million, I don't care if it's $70 million. I really don't care if, if Arteta thinks he thinks that the player is going to be good for us, then I say do it. I mean, at the end of the day, in five years' time, what are these fees going to be like? Do you know what I mean? Like this is kind of my point on it. Is as much as it seems like a fortune now, Alan Shearer seemed like a ridiculous fee at fifteen million in nineteen ninety six, and within five years you're looking at thirty million pound players. So where are we going to be? In five years' time, now we're probably going to be looking at 150 million, 200 million. Do you know what I mean? Like it, these fees continue to rise. I don't see an end to it, so I'm not that fussed about it. I'm more of a mind that I don't want to help Chelsea out. Me, it's a bit, bit of both, to be honest, because I, I do, I do. I mean, they paid, I think, 62 million for him. So I, I think I, it was, I think it was 72 rising to 80. I think I I saw sixty two, but you might be right. There might be add ons or whatever. But nevertheless, if we're going to be near at that price, for me, it, that makes no sense because in the last three years, has that guy justified himself being the same price or over what what Chelsea paid? Especially with the situation they're in with two years on his contract, he doesn't want to be there anymore. I, I, like you said, I don't see loads of teams in for him um, apparently Real pushed uh, pulled out so Arsenal have all, all the leverage and you, you surely can't turn around and say that this is their priority signing either um, so yeah I think the fee sometimes does come into play depending on the circumstances for me Declan Rice not so much because it's a priority signing so I get it you you want to go all out for your priority signing um, but a player like Havertz I'm sure there are other players out there we could target, which would also fit in the system. So I, I, considering what they pay, considering his position at Chelsea, considering Chelsea need to sell, all of those things you're saying, I would still look at the fee and, and hope for it to be, re, you know, something reasonably, um, you know, low in comparison to what they've been touting. Um, but yeah, I do think there's a lot of focus on that. Um for example, what we've talked about with Haaland, there's always the focus on the fee, but there's nothing about the wage. There's nothing about the salary. 
the ridiculous salary he's on and what they're shelling out for that and what they pay in agent fees and all that stuff. So it can be a very simplistic way of just looking at a transaction. Yeah, I mean, the fee, the Holland one's a perfect example where the fees, like, let's be honest, Borussia Dortmund got less out of that deal than everybody else involved. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's agent and then his dad got paid and then he obviously is getting paid. It's the fee. I think they touted that fee as what, 56 million or 61 million or something. We all know that wasn't a fee. That was just what got transferred between Chelsea and Borussia Dortmund. The money that went to his old man and to the agent was twice that. So it's, you know, I, I just think there's too much focus put on the on the transfer fees. With, with Havertz then, I mean, it definitely, it's being reported by several sources, um, including David Ornstein. So I think the interest is genuine, right? I think we can all agree on, on that. I think the interest is real. What do you see when you look at Kai Havertz? Um, I've never really been a big fan of this, to be honest. So it's going to, you know, I don't want to sound contradictory at all. Um, you know, I th- that's just me looking at it from my eyes of watching him and perhaps with an added bit of, you know, Chelsea crap as well. Um, it was, you know, I've never really gravitated to him as a player. I've um, kind of, I always think he's pretty woeful in front of goal, kind of gangly. Um, but, you know, like we've touched on, I'm not the expert. I'm not the manager of Arsenal. He's proved himself so far, uh, especially over the last few years with, with what he's brought in, um, what his vision is, um, the system he wants. So I can just, the player alone, I'm figuring out what position his, is his best. Um, but I, I can kind of understand why Arteta's targeting him because for me, it does look like it would be a different option um, for us um, than what we've been, you know, regularly uh, looking at in the market. He's a, he's a, he's a taller player. He's um, he seems pretty skillful on the ball. He's got good control, um, so he might bring us a different option uh, in the final third. I think the interesting bit that, that you said there is you don't know what position he plays, mm-hmm. and I don't know that anybody knows what yeah. position he plays. And and this is kind of the thing for me. When I first saw this link, I was like, what? That don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the more I thought about it, the more intrigued I've become by it, right? Because like you said, he, he's six foot three. He's actually better in the air than you think just by looking at him. He's very wiry. He's hard to knock off the ball. He's got very good close control. He's got very good passing. He can't finish his dinner. That, that definitely doesn't help. Um, mm-hmm. he, you know, he between him and Jesus, if we played him and Jesus up front, there will be a game where we have 76 shots and don't score. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I think that is absolutely nailed on at yeah. some point if we did that. But he's strong on both feet. He, I think he's more left-sided than right, but he's strong on both feet. That gives you the option to bring him in. I mean, everybody wants a Saka alternative, right? Well, what are we going to do? Saka can't play 65 games every year. This would solve that. He's also a Jesus replacement. Um, I I don't know how much difference there is in the finishing between them, to be quite honest with you. They've both probably got a very similar uh, conversion rate, which yeah. is obviously lower than you'd like. But I think for us, we've said this before, we've got two wingers that are both capable of hitting in the 20s every year for goals. And it kind of reduces the pressure on that centre forward to score 
as many goals. So I think you can kind of get around that. I think the player that this is absolutely the end for, if we sign him, is Eddie and Ketia. Mm. Because I think if we sign Havertz, then to me, it looks like he is probably the first man up for Saka, the first man up for Jesus, and maybe even the first man up for, for Martinelli. I don't see uh, one of the fabled left eights there. I just don't see that in him. I don't think he's a midfield player. Um, his position is tough to nail down. But what, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's um, it's a difficult. I, I I agree with you. The left eight, I can't see that. I I don't find him as dynamic enough. Uh, um, I I think he is good good link play, but I don't know how good he would be box to box or you know it, it doesn't seem like that for me. Um, so he's either going to be right in the center as an alternative to Jesus. I can't see him playing with Jesus unless Jesus moves to the wing. Um, or for Saka, um, like uh, like you you'd mentioned before, um, I, I could I can only really see him in those two roles unless Arteta is changing formation. I I don't know. Um, that was that was actually the point I was going to bring up. Pass is that the the, mm. the other the other option here is that you know we, we've obviously evolved under Arteta when he took over. We had that silly free at the back and. Then we went to the four with the double pivot in front. And then this season we've played the four, kind of four, one, two, two, one really is what it is. Um, and there's a chance that that morphs again, right? Like I, I don't think Arteta is so wet. I think the one thing he's wedded to, right, is basically he wants five attackers, right, at all times. I think that is the one thing that he's, that he's wedded to. So you've got the two wingers, the centre forward, and then at, as it stands at the minute, you've got the two midfielders, which is Odegaard and, and it's been Xhaka, right? Xhaka played more further forward this year than he ever has before. I think that's what he's, what he's been wedded to. And I don't think that will change. But I do, I do wonder if there is a scope at some point. And I, you know me, I hate three at the back. I'm not a believer in it. I don't think Arteta particularly likes it. But I do think there's an intriguing an intriguing kind of thing where you can go with a three, almost a three, two, five. Um, and maybe that's the only way you would see Havertz and, and Jesus in together, but you know, he's certainly never going to replace Martin Erdegaard in a team. So uh, I just, a change of formation. I don't completely discount that. I'm not sure it'll be anything as drastic as going to a, a, a three, two, five or, or anything like that, but I, I, some subtle tweaks would not surprise me. Possible. Um, it also could be possible in the game as well, where he alternates it. Um, it you look at what Pep's done with Man City. Um, it's hard to figure out what formation he's putting out from game to game, isn't it? I, I kind of feel that that might be perhaps what he's thinking as well to keep the opponents guessing, because it certainly kept me guessing about what formation City was going to put out. Or they, you know, look. Look what what happened to John Stones and playing kind of a Beckenbauer role now. So it's it, it, maybe the idea is to get these type of players because they're so interchangeable and they can alternate their positions quite fluidly and therefore you can change the formation in the game or before the game or whatever it is that he intends to do. It's possibly the idea. Uh, because I, I, I'm with you as well, the three at the back, does reap kind of um, counter-attacking football and 
um, slightly negative, but it, it worked for City and it, and they still were able to put in fluid performances. So it'd be, it is fascinating to see. It really is. It's, it's definitely come out of the left field, this one. Yeah, I definitely didn't have uh, didn't have this one on my radar, but it, it's interesting that I think that we we seem to, like we said before, have pulled out the Caicedo race, and this this interest has kind of ramped up. And uh, to me, what this screams is Arsenal are very confident that the Declan Rice deal is getting over the line, and therefore a Caicedo type player is not what they're looking for. So now they've moved on to the next target. Do you know what I mean? Whereas you know, I I don't know that we we've said it. Plenty of times here, we we didn't think that Rice and Caicedo were. We didn't think both of them would happen, right? We we all said that. So I'm mm-hmm. just thinking now that we may be confident that we're almost done with the Rice deal. So it's now move on to the next thing, and the next thing is someone like a Kai Havertz. That's kind of the player that we're looking for. Um, so I think I think maybe that's maybe that's the situation with it. Possible. I mean, I think what. You have to think there's another midfielder in 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 the mate, but you know probably not of the price tag of Caicedo Ka- is because um, Shaka will leave, right? So Shaka is going to leave. Shaka is and... going to leave. Um, the the only way there's not, I think, is if is if Jorginho and Partey both stay, and mm. Rice spends the first year playing in Shaka's role. That that's the only thing I can see. But yeah. even then, I still think we're probably one short. Mm. Yeah, it's either that or um uh they they you know get a um yeah a 40 50 million uh pound um, midfielder that's to play in the eight role. I don't know. Or, or plans for Fabio Vieira. <laughs> yeah. Well I think I think <laughs> the plan for I think the plan for Fabio Vieira probably remains the same, right? Like they like yeah. they want him as the Odegaard. Replacement. Mm. I, I don't think this this left eight thing. I think they've they tried Vieira there. It clearly didn't work. We've heard uh, rumours that Smith Rose being repurposed there. I still don't believe that. Um, mm. So I'm just I'm just not really sure at the minute. But again, like we said, there's a we know that that the team evolves. I'm just wondering if that position is going to evolve rather than just slotting someone in and saying, okay, you're going to play this like Granite Xhaka did. If there's going to be something different there you know we were talking yesterday and we were talking about um if we did get rice and caicedo because of how powerful they are like like rice is one of the biggest physical beasts in the in the premier league he, he's like having two men in there and and caicedo is kind of similar and i think you could maybe get away with them two and then literally throw in someone like Havertz alongside erdegaard and and yeah. going with you know and, and really pushing the boat out that way but it would it, one way or another, it's going to necessitate that role changing somewhat. But but my question is relating to that: Why are we in? Why is it that we have to sell Grant Shaka? I mean, is there? You know, yeah, he wants to leave, but many, you know, that I think that's that it. To be honest, mate, I don't, I don't think we need to sell him. I don't think we need to sell him at all. In fact, there's even uh, he's under contract anyway, and there's even uh, an uh, an option to a club option to extend. I don't think that, we need that... to sell Granite Shaka. I think Granite Shaka wants to go, and I think the club have decided that basically they're going to grant him his wish. I think that's all it comes down to. But I would have, I would have thought. I mean, you know, I know there's again we were talking about transfer fees and stuff, but it, it does seem low. It seems low. Oh, it's incredibly someone. low. Yeah. So I mean, why, 
why not at least hold out for something better there? And if it doesn't come, you know, sorry, you just got to stay another year. Well, I think he's, I mean, he's clearly, I think this deal for all intents and purposes with, is it by Leverkusen? Yeah, Leverkusen. Leverkusen. I think it's basically done and dusted and they're holding off until they get the replacement sorted, right? So in one way, the club are, holding it up in case. But I just think the decision has been made that it's a thank you to Granite Shaka that he's being let go. Now, you can think of that what you will. I mean, the, the Moel Nenny contract was a thank you contract, right? That's a, everybody loves you, Mo. We're not going to string you up, throw you out when you're injured and no one else. And, and by the way, I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. Um, but that was the that was the thank you. That was the thank you contract. And I think this is the thank you deal for Granite Shaka. This is his golden handshake. But perhaps, and you know, I don't, I don't have any issue with him wanting to leave, and and we try and facilitate that. But what I have an issue with is is also underselling a player that's had his best season at the club. I think you know, the problem, is- though, Pass, is where are you going to get more from? I, now, I agree with you. I think you've got a thirty million pound player that we're selling for half price. Mm. I, I absolutely agree with you. But where are you going to sell him to? Where you're going to get that money? Because I don't see he 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 wants to go back to Germany, right? He wants to leave. I, I, he he doesn't want to leave to leave. Like he's not going to leave us and go to Aston Villa or somewhere like that. That that's not the aim here. He wants to go back to Germany. So unless you can convince Borussia Dortmund to part with a shitload of the money they've just got in for Bellingham, where are you going to sell him to? No, well, I think that's what you're going to do. You got uh, well, Dortmund, yeah. Leverkusen. Was Leverkusen where we got him from? No, we got him from Mönchengladbach. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, you, you know, it's it's just a bit frustrating again because, you know, we, we you, you would think we have a stronger hand in certain positions, but it seems like we're again perhaps selling a player under what really is worth. But I guess, you know, he wants to go and he's adamant on going. And I think it's, I, I just honestly, mate, I just think it's where he wants to go to. He wants yeah. to go back to Germany. I think if we could sell him within the Premier League, it would be a different story. But if you look mm. at it, I mean, Bayern Munich bought Ryan Gravenberch for 25 million. Was that last summer? Mm. So, you know, they're the fees that we're talking about on the continent. You, you know, it you is, it is incredible, and, really, is it? What a shocking difference, especially when I hear news of like uh, Arsenal player, uh, an Italian club is after an Arsenal player. Mm-hmm. I'm always thinking, oh, my God, here we go. Like yeah, you're not getting any money out of them. You're loan not option to buy. Juventus <laughs> want to sell every player for 150 million and want to mm. give you 5 million in a box of Rolos. For this. Yeah. It, it's just yeah. it, it's just the way it is, and it's like that all across the continent. And mm. this is, you know, this is part of the problem with the with being a being a Premier League club is that everyone knows that you've got money, so you're, you know, the price goes up when Arsenal are interested in a player. You see what it's like. Arsenal are interested mm. in a player, the price goes up three times. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I, I agree. Um... Just so we'll see. I, I guess um, with Shaka gone, I, he must be thinking ahead of what what plans he has for I, that. I midfield. definitely think there's going to be a second midfielder. I think we just don't know. Is yet. I don't believe that Kai Havertz is the second midfielder. I think if we did get Rice and Havertz done, I think there's another midfielder still to come. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think Kai Sido's. Yeah, I'm, I'm still sticking to what I said. I think you are as well. That he's not going to be coming. 
Um, it just seems what Brighton want, if it's at the price point you're taking, you're telling me, which is probably correct because they rejected up to 80 for us in January. And then he signed a new contract. And no release clause, which I thought was quite weird. Um, you would have thought he would have insisted on that if there was really this intention to leave in summer. So, yeah, I think I think he's he's going to be going to probably Chelsea and they will pay the money because they did that for Enzo Fernandez. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much long and short of it. But I, I definitely think there'll be another midfielder coming mm. for us. Yeah, for I sure. agree. Um, the other one, uh, the slightly strange one that came out of left field was Timothy Castagna, the the Leicester right back. Um, I don't really get this link, to be quite honest with you, because I'm I know he can play right and left back, which maybe solves a problem. A bit Tommy Asu, like again, he's a taller player, um, reasonably athletic, but. He's 27 years old. He's hardly set the world alight for Leicester. Mm. I, I just, this is a funny, a funny link, isn't it? It is an odd link. Um, he's, I mean, I've never thought he's a bad player. He's okay. I don't particularly um, think he's anything outstanding or, or it seems a bit, yeah, I I don't I didn't know what to make of that one. I was uh, does I was it kind smell of a little saying, bit like Cedric? I not as bad. No, I, I he's a better player than Cedric. Um, I mean, he, he obviously a Belgian international. He's played. He he actually has had good performances. Um, I, it's difficult to judge Leicester players from last season because they're all pretty crap. Um, besides maybe Madison and Harvey Barnes, but. Um, they weren't, and especially defensively. I don't think he's a bad player, but I think I didn't understand the. They would say that this was like a third option behind Fresneda or second option behind Fresneda. Um, so does that mean we're still in for Fresneda or, or what's going on there? Well, this is <laughs> so different to Fresneda, right? Fresneda is 18 year old with uh, bags of potential. So I don't really see how the two signings are related, except that they both nominally operate in the same part of the pitch. And Castagna seems more in... Uh, maybe I'm wrong with this, but I haven't really analysed him that much. But he seems more in the Tierney mould than anyone else. He's not someone was, I think that can play inadverted... No, that was or, my thought as well, is that he, yeah. he's more of a traditional fullback that bombs up and down the line. So mm. I don't know. That was a weird one. I don't know... I don't know how much there is in it. It seems to have gone a little bit quiet over the last couple of days. It's so. going to happen, though, isn't it? In this market, I think we're going to be linked to, you know, every man and his dog, um, and we're we're going to be, you know, singled out for every offer that we make as well, like we saw today. Um, you know, yeah. as if we've made the worst offer in the world, and how derisory our offers are, and the same thing. So it's going to be a saga, really, isn't it? This yeah, it, window it, it is. I mean, it is. This is why I just, I would like the rice deal tied up sooner rather yeah. than later, just so we can get on with it. But at the same time, like I was saying to you boys earlier, I really want Declan Rice. I've liked him for a long time. But if we don't get him, you know what? We didn't get Martinez. We got Zinchenko. We didn't get Vlajevic. We ended up with Jesus. We didn't get David Raya. We got Ramsdale. If we don't get him... Fair enough, Edu and Arteta just need to move on. There, there does have to be a point where you walk away. I don't think that's what this Declan Rice deal is coming to. I really do think that West Ham want to sell. 
um, every noise West Ham have made. It's been nothing to do with stop bidding for our player. We don't want to sell him. It's just we're looking for more than that. So I do mm. think that I do think that 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 deal goes through. I, I would just like it over with sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I would think that's the plan. I think by next week we've got clarity as to whether this is going to happen or not. I do think it will. Um, it seems like a lot has been done in the background leading up to this. Um, and I can't, you know, I look at the rivals as well, besides City, we talked about them. But, you know, United have their, uh, uh, they're, they're pinning their hopes elsewhere into other transfers in more important areas. Chelsea just all over the place anyway, so I, I, I wouldn't even factor them in. Uh, maybe Newcastle, but it seems that where he Newcastle. wants to be. He's not going to uh, Newcastle. No, There's he won't no go there. So where Newcastle. he wants to be is London. Chelsea was always the front runner for many years, were the inevitable place that he'll end up. But I think that's changed a lot now, especially with him not being in the Champions League. He just announced, he just said that he would, you know, being in the Champions League is a great, um, it was a few months back or whatever, at the turn of the year, he was saying, talking about playing in the Champions League. So all of these things work in Arsenal's favour. So I, I can't see us uh, dropping this one. No, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's, it's going to get done. Um, it would just be interesting to see if, I mean, I know you said to me earlier, you'd seen the same report that I did where West Ham were kind of being offered first refusal on a lot of our mm. players in the summer. And there's a couple of players we've got that to me seem like a really good fit for West Ham. Mm. Um, first off, one that I don't think will happen because he wants to go further north, I think, is Kieran Tierney. I think Kieran Tierney is an excellent fit for West Ham. I think he'd be a really, really good fit for them, although I don't think that one will happen. Um, I think Rob Holding would be a good fit for West Ham. I think they're a low-block team that tends to defend their box. Um, they put a lot of uh, emphasis on set pieces. I think Rob Holding would be an excellent fit there. And I think Eddie Nketiah would be a good fit there. I think um, Antonio looks like he's out the door there. They haven't figured out how to use Scamacha. So I, I do think Eddie would go well there. I also think Emil Smith-Rowe, but it does appear like maybe we're trying to keep hold of Smith-Rowe. I, I hopefully, we're going to keep keep hold of him to use him um, rather than keep hold of him like we did with Eddie and like we're about to do with Reese Nelson, keep hold of him and never use him. But... Um, and, and it- and as much as I want him to stay, but even Balogun, I don't think would be a bad option for them. Yeah, either. I think I, I think Balogun would be a good option there. I don't know that Balogun would fancy that, but I don't know. Maybe mm. I'm wrong. I mean, they've got the Europa League. Um, I, I don't, you know, I do think that the talk of 40 million for Balogun is kind of fanciful. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think that that really is an option. I think you're looking at the mid twenties. Um, it seems to be RB Leipzig seems to be the the most likely at the minute. There's no real big big clubs in for him, you know. Yeah, which is slightly disappointing, but kind of tells you what the French league is about. And 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 all, again, you know, I hate to talk about it again, but kind of also um, highlights our uh, stupidity in the Pepe deal because the French league obviously does not have the gravitas. Um, well, uh, absolutely, I think was was Lacazette the top scorer or second top scorer? In yeah, France, I mean, you? there you go. I mean, we all saw what Lacazette brought to us at the team. Some good moments, but he was definitely not prolific. So that that kind of tells you everything, really, about uh, about the French league. So perhaps this is what they're seeing with Balogun. That's why we're maybe not getting the fees that we think we can get. Yeah, um, I, I just I don't 
I don't see the. I just don't see them offers materialising. I, I think Balogun's going to go, and I think we'll get a decent fee for him. I mean, look at it this way: twelve months ago, what would we have been looking at for Balogun? Two million quid, maybe. Mm. So it, you know, it's a bit Emmy Martinez, where you kind of think maybe we should have got more, but then you think, well, wait a minute, we had a player that was virtually worthless twelve months ago, and all mm. of a sudden we're we're raking in this money that's going to help us improve elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I personally would. Yeah, I see what you're saying because I think he would only have a year left next year, wouldn't he, if he does not sign? I'm, I'm not sure because I thought he signed a new deal before he went out on loan. I thought he signed a new deal at the same time as Eddie signed his deal. Um, no, I'm I, not sure. I think it was the year before. Was it? Well, then that would, it would make sense because then yeah, he went think, to Borough. Do you remember he went to? Yeah, Borough? he went to Borough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I definitely, I think you know, I think he's going to move on. Um, he's yeah, gonna I, I, I think it was a four-year contract and I think he's only got two years left. So if we're going to sell, we've got to sell this year. Um, so, yeah, that's the outcome. That's the yeah. outcome. That would make sense. All right, well, that's enough for the transfers for today. Uh, we're back in a second half and we'll touch on the uh, fixture release that came out this morning. So Sounds good. All right, see you on the other side. Yeah. Hey guys, just a couple of quick halftime announcements. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps us reach a wider audience and we thank you for your support. Also, don't forget to check out our socials. We are The NN Pod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We try and put out some cool content, so give us a like or a follow and help us build our Guna community. Hello and welcome back to the Non-Negotiables podcast. This is part two. Um, Pat, so the fixture list got released this morning. Um, anything that jumps off the page at you? Obviously, we have to insert the obligatory joke where uh, it was a real shock that we got every team twice, once home, once away. But <laughs> moving on from that, anything that jumped out on you when the uh, fixtures come out? Uh, yeah, just interesting that we've got a lot of the, the big boys actually at home. Um, so we got um, uh, after the the fourth game is United at home, and then after that Spurs at home, uh, City at home. Um, so we got you know got quite a fair share. Of, then we got obviously Chelsea away, but um, quite interesting to start off with those three teams at home. And um, I always um, we always tend to I, I can't remember the last time we played. Usually we play United away. Um, well, I've been used to us playing away first and then home later on. Um, and uh, there was something else I thought of as well, which I thought was... Uh, um, I totally forgot it now. But Nottingham Forest at home, that's a good start, I think. I, I like that one. Not, you know, ease into the um, into the season. And then Palace away, which is kind of similar to last season because we played them the first game of the season. Um, and then Fulham, and then obviously the big one, which will be Man United at home, the first really big one of the season. Um, yeah, but yeah. So those, those stood out to me for like the earlier games. Um, uh, so I thought that was that was quite interesting. And then uh, and then Liverpool away will be in December, and then Chelsea away, of course. Yeah, I think it's um, it's an opportunity to get off to a good start. That's for sure. I don't think. Uh... I think the start is very good. I'm personally glad to see that we've got Man City at home first. Um, I think there's a monkey we've got to get off our back there, the way we did when we beat Liverpool. 
Um, I think we've got a win, and I think we've got a lot more chance doing it at home than away. So I'm I was hoping that we'd have City first rather than City at home first rather than away first because I think if you you know you go to the head you get dicked I think I think it's going to put a real uh, early dampener on the season. Whereas I think if we can if we can start well and then we can do City at home, I think that really really puts a positive spin on the season early and really gives you a, a push to drive forward from. Yeah, and it's good to play these teams earlier on in the season as well because we did play City at home first last season, but it was the second half of the season. Um, you know, we we start well, fresh players, um, you know, on a buzz beginning of the season. It's good to have that City game relatively early, which is October, I think. October 7th, well, that'll probably change. Might might be October 8th or... Um, yeah, so um, I, I'm I'm good. I'm glad. I agree with you. I'm glad we're having them at home first. I'm glad it's earlier on the season and not so much later on. Um, so yeah, it should be um, that. It's some tasty games there, and you know the first three games we should really um, have nine points. Yeah, it is. It is worth noting that some of these fixtures are going to change. We're going to be on TV most of the time. So a lot of the Saturday games are going to move to a Sunday and vice versa. And some of them, when the when the European draws come out and we start getting into the Cups, some of these fixtures are going to move around as well. So although this is what it looks like now, it could change. Um, but I, I, I'm not so keen on the fact that our last two away games of the season are Spurs away and Man United away. That's a, that's a very yeah. tough... It's a very tough finish if you're going into that needing, uh, needing points... Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, that's true. Second to last game, Man United away. Yeah, that that is a. That's you kind of if if we if we are challenging for the league, you'd want to wrap it up pretty soon because uh, that can be Spurs away. Yeah, I I I think they've still got a long way to go. Anyway, Spurs. I I, I don't. I I. But yeah, it's not you. You don't. It's not. I obviously White Hart Lane. Uh, not White Hart Lane. The other stadium. Um, you um, you obviously would rather be playing them at home, but I th- I I don't fear them as a United away is a pain. That's a pain because our Old Trafford record is not great, and their Old Trafford record is good. Um, the other but, way to look at it is we've already won the league at both of them places, so maybe we can just do it again. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, but it's um, you know, it's it's not it's not a bad start. I think we've we've got. I don't. When was the last time? I, I recently we've been playing Spurs at home quite a lot, isn't it? First beginning of the season. Yeah, we we always we always seem to have Spurs at home. It's usually kind of around November. This season's even yeah. even earlier, and we usually have them away around March um, mm. and you know sometimes it gets rescheduled but they it used to be that they used to put them there I think because they didn't really want that much riding on the games do you know what I mean there was enough riding on them anyway without putting them at the business end of the season and I just wonder how much Sky have kind of gone you know what we kind of want them fixtures towards the end rather than having them tucked in November and March where it's nice and safe and not going to decide anything yeah yeah, well, that will definitely be uh, um, an interesting uh, April and May for sure. Uh, yeah. But you know, I, I, like like you said, it's good to play 
um, those home games, especially with City, man, give us some kind of um, confidence and uh, start the season well, like we did last season. Yeah, and we, we way, you know, we're obviously we're going to need to get off to a hot start with with that finish. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's um, I I I look, you know, I I fully be optimistic for this season. It'll be interested to see. Obviously, we've got to see how this this transfer market goes. Um, but now with the Champions League as well in there, it's uh, it's uh, new territory for us for something we haven't seen for a long time. Um, and also the charity shield, we're actually going to be in that as well. So, um, yeah, that's a fun one. I'm quite, I, I quite, uh, I quite like playing in the charity shield. I always used to like playing in the charity shield. It doesn't matter if you win it or not, but um, just playing in it, you know, you get the, you get the first look at your team, don't you, in a kind of semi-competitive action where everyone yeah. else has to wait another week. Exactly, exactly, and and you know, it gives us the impression that we won something last year, even though we didn't. We came second, but <laughs> we just go in there pretending that we won yeah, something. You know, we won something, but it'll be good. It'll, I, I look forward to it. I look forward to you know the Champions League draw as well. It's it's going to be exciting, really exciting for us. We came from a really, um, a really pleasurable season. Um, yeah, could you know, obviously not winning it was kicking the teeth, but we all came out of it really positive. So I think it's one where we now are looking at, hey, let's consolidate, let's get better, let's try and uh, learn from maybe some of the things that went wrong last season and, and go into the season full of positivity um, because there isn't any re- any reason why we can't go like that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, you know, and coming on to the Champions League a little bit, getting that pot to, I think, was... Uh, I think was was really really important. Yeah. Um, is there anything you're particularly looking forward to when them when them groups are uh, when them groups are announced? So just to just to recap real quick, we're um, we're actually in in pot two. Um, let me just grab the uh, let me just grab the seedings up um, because there's still quite a few there's still quite a few that we don't know about yet, right? Because there's some. Uh, there's some qualifiers that that we've got to uh, that we've got mm. to get through before we can kind of figure it out. But you know, in in pot A, you you have or pot one, you have uh, Manchester City, Sevilla, Barcelona, Napoli, Bayern Munich, Paris Saint Germain, Benfica, and Feyenoord. So we're going to have one of those in our group. Uh, our pot, we avoid Real Madrid, obviously Manchester United, English team anyway. Inter Milan, Borussia Dortmund, Atletico Madrid, Leipzig, Porto, um, and then we round that pot off. Pot three, Shakhtar, Red Bull, Salzburg, AC Milan, Lazio and Red Star. There's going to be a couple more that that could go in that. Um, Pot four is Union, Berlin and Lenz. Uh, Pot three or four at the minute, teams that have definitely qualified, it's Newcastle, Celtic and Real Sociedad. And that's going to depend on the qualifiers of which pot they go in. Is there anything you're really looking forward to there or really want to avoid? I mean, it just seems inevitable that we're going to get both. Bayern Munich. Yeah, that, that's that's what I was going to say. Bayern, as always, right? Um, I think um, I think what's interesting now because of the way they do the seedings is that league champions go automatically into pot one. So that's why Feyenoord is there, um, and Benfica, and um, yeah, well, those two primarily. So therefore, pot two actually can actually look more daunting. So it's actually quite a good thing that we finished in pot two 
rather than three or four because part two for me has some real tough teams in there um, because of the fact that they take precedence uh, part one over the, the league champions take precedence. So ideally you'd want like a Benfica or Feyenoord in your team, in your, uh, in your group or maybe Sevilla. Um, but I, I'm not really, um, there's no one I'm really looking forward to having or, or anyone that I'm really, I'd rather not have Bayern, I'll be honest. Um, but all the other teams in there, I, I'm not really, there's no one I'm really, I think Arsenal should fear per se. Um, I um, I feel that they can, they can handle their own against any of those teams in there. Um, and of course they avoid Man City because they're an English team. Um, Real Madrid are going to be a, I think they're going to be a bit of a force from what I see that they're, they're doing. I mean, they've now got Bellingham. It looks like a good midfield they're going to have. Um, and uh, so that, they'll, they'll obviously be one to uh, to uh, to watch out for. But no one in particular I'm really looking forward to seeing or in our group uh, bring all of them on. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you don't get into... Europe to then kind of shy away from playing any of the big sides, right? Yeah. Like that's that's not the that's not the point of it. You you get in there because you want to play against the best. So mm. I'm not I'm I'm like you. I'm not worried about it. I think we you know we were the second best team in the best league in the world last year. So I don't see why we would fear any of them. Bayern Munich weren't fantastic last year. Paris Saint Germain, whatever they're French. Um, I just, you know, I don't see anyone there that's massively fair. I mean, even Barcelona are not what Barcelona Barcelona were. Um, so there's there's no one there I particularly particularly fear. I'm just looking forward to being back in it again. Um I'm I'm looking forward to getting some of these some of these big teams coming to the Emirates. Yeah, absolutely. That that's I think I think just in general, having you know, having a a Real Madrid or Barcelona or, uh, you know, some of that ilk um, having these games again and not, you know, the Europa had its perks in some respects, but we got tired of of that whole Europa thing. Um, now, when you go into the next stage of the Champions League, there isn't this thought process of should we rest players? No, it's, <laughs> it's not going to be like that anymore. Even in some of the, what seemed like, um, the easier teams in your group, you still don't think about that. So I think it's just going to be a different approach that we're going to have. It's a different dynamic. And it's just even the music is an upgrade to that crap we were listening at the Europa, <laughs> you know? It just and doesn't the, have that same appeal, does it? And that awful orange colour that they yeah, use. Their yeah, logo everything. Yeah, it, it just, yeah, it, it, feels like a, it feels like a completely different world. And, you know, I remember yeah. we talked about this before that, you know, we took it for granted for a long time that we were always in it. And it did get to the point at the end when we're getting smashed by Bayern Munich or Barcelona every year. And you're kind of thinking, I actually wouldn't mind a little tickle at the Europa League. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Just give us a competition that we can go in and, and win and then we'll come back. And and then we got it. And uh, it didn't work out so well. Um, so I'm, I'm like you, I'm just glad to be rid of the Europa League when when I stopped following the Europa League on Twitter that was a good day um <laughs> hoping I don't have to follow them again anytime soon uh, so you know and and at the end of the day what difference it makes because Aston Villa and Unai Emery are going to win it anyway uh, absolutely actually I mean, are they in that or are they in the conference no they're in the conference league aren't they yeah they're in the conference well so I they'll mean, win that that's that's nailed on 
Yes, Nell Don. I mean, uh, that's Emery's. Emery's the only only club he didn't do it with this with, was us, right? No, yeah. and he won it with Villarreal, didn't he? He did win it with Villarreal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Only yeah. PSG it's just, it's just, then. It's just us and Paris Saint Germain that he can't he can't win with. So when it's a bigger club, basically. Yeah, he's he's a mid-table manager that plays in mid-table competitions, and I'm just glad to not be playing in their competitions anymore. Yeah, because yeah, I yeah, I I, I tell you, I got sick of the Europa League real quick. the The novelty lasted about 15 minutes of the first game, and then I was like, "Oh my god, why did I ever want this?" Yeah, I think I think my interest totally went out of the window when we lost that final. We lost that final. I was like, "That's it. I'm done. I'm exhausted." We got all the way to the final. We did all of that, and then we got battered. And then it was just like, I, I, I can't deal with this 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 tournament anymore. It's yeah, just... I'm just I'm just hoping we're we're not in it again anytime soon. Do you know what I mean? Like the next, I, I do not want to see that competition for the next four or five years. I don't want to be finishing third in the group and dropping down into it. I don't want to no. be starting the year in that competition. Just keep me away from the Europa League for a while. Yeah, and I think I, I I have a good feeling Arteta will be will, will be decent. He'll, he'll he'll I mean he hasn't we haven't been outstanding in the Europa, but I think there's sometimes you could have arguments as to you know why that was. But I think taking the Champions League seriously, going into that with a with a healthier squad, a stronger squad of players, um, I think he can um, really show his worth in that tournament. I hope so because our European record is an absolute stain on the club. Yeah, I mean it—it it it, it really is a disgrace for a club of our size to have so little impact in European competitions. Um, I do think that Heisel fucked us because I think had George Graham had two goes at the European Cup and not one, I think we'd have stood a chance. I think if we'd have been, if we'd have if we'd have been in it in eighty nine ninety. Then when we went in it in ninety one ninety two, I think we would have been in a lot better shape than than when we went in. Just because he, he needed that he needed that learning curve. You know, you got to remember he didn't even get a shot at the UEFA Cup or the Cup Winners Cup before that. He mm. was literally straight into the straight into the European Cup as it was then, um, and he just didn't get time to adapt. And if anyone could, it was George Graham. So I'm really upset that he only got one go at that because, of course. You know, we didn't get in the year after. The year after that, we went in the Cup Winners' Cup and won it. And then the year after that, we went in and we were in the quarterfinals of the Cup Winners' Cup when he got sacked. So, you know, I do think George Graham would have been able to make some inroads in that. And I think the biggest blight on Arsene Wenger's CV, it's not necessarily the last few years, um, although they were pretty dire. It's actually the failures in Europe between 98 and 2005, where we should have won one. Probably include 2006 in that as well, because wasn't that the um, the final with uh, yeah, when we got to the final, yeah. But I think yeah. between I think between '98 and '05, we the the '06 one was a great run to get there, but I mm. don't think that team was anything close to the teams we had between '98 and 2005. Oh, a hundred percent. And and what we talked about this earlier, but. You know, there was that Wembley decision. Was that two seasons we did that? Yeah, yeah, absolute was, waste. Yeah, after the double, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was an absolute waste because I think we lost. I think we went out in the group stages on both occasions. Yeah, and we got Wembley fucking was battered a, by Fiorentina. We got battered by Dynamo Kiev, Barcelona. Surprise, surprise! I remember I went to that game and um, I remember Philip Koch who's scoring in that game. 
um, hardly ever scores. And then what a surprise. And I think we lost that 5-2. It was Van Gaal's team. It was, it, we just played at Wembley like it was away. And rightly so, because it was away. It was, it was not our home ground. It was not Highbury. Yeah, um, we, we gave up home advantage out of choice. And it almost felt to me like it was a dry run for the Emirates, um, mm-hmm. rather than being a football indecision. I think it was more something to show the banks that, hey, you can give us these loans because we will be filling 60,000 once we build this stadium. Yeah, and it was it was just a poor decision uh, from a from from. I mean, you might say it was financially you could understand it, but if you're not going beyond the group stages, you're not getting financially any reward either, are you? So it cuts it short. Yeah. Um, whatever it was, but yeah, I think I think then you know you could look back in our history and and those are the times when we didn't miss out. That zero four team was the invincible season. You know we could have got our own treble that season. Uh, yeah, that Winebridge goal still haunts me in my sleep. Ah, that game in general. I think it was. Um, I think we were cruising really at halftime. We were one nil up. Was it Reyes? Who scored? Yeah, yeah, it was Reyes. Yeah, one nil up, and then just last fifteen minutes, we just fell apart. Um, and it was against Chelsea, who we'd beaten about five times that season. <laughs> we'd like beaten them in the cups and everything. Yeah. Um, no, it was it, it was insane. And, you know, we had a couple of years with a silly away goals rule, didn't we? I mean, I remember, uh, I remember going out in Juventus one year when we drew nil Valencia. Valencia, I remember that we were two 0 up at home, and then Carew and Mendieta storm back, and we had a yeah. few. We had one at Bayern Munich as well, where I don't know if that was away goals, but we went out really close at Bayern Munich. Obviously, we had a couple of Barcelona ones later on when Van Persie got sent off in the most ludicrous decision of all time. Uh, yeah, the Anfield game, the Theo Walcott game. So you know, no. we had some. We had some we had some close ones. We had the year we got to the semi and United just battered us in about fifteen minutes. But the but it was for me it was that spell between ninety eight and and oh four. In particular, I think ninety eight, ninety nine, um and oh two, oh three and oh four, I think are the ones that you know, we had that little barren spell in two thousand, two thousand one, kind of where we were going for a little bit of a transition. Um, where we were, you know, we were moving away from Anelka to Omri and, and Overmaster Perez, and it just took a minute to to really get going. Um, but I think those those years are the ones that are really that really stand out to me, where we we had the best team in it, and we just didn't do it. And I think this is, I always said that for me, Arsene Wenger would have been the best director of football of all time. I think he built squads like no one I've ever seen. His talent ID was just off the charts. He collected these amazing players. As a manager, I'm not convinced that he was absolutely top-notch. I think if you could get his talent ID and stick it with George Graham's tactical acumen, my God, you'd you'd have a monster. Yeah. Yeah, it is one of the things that has has been um, a stain, as you say, on, on our history, especially the, since we've been Arsenal fans and we've seen them only win the Cup Winners' Cup. Um, and and been in numerous finals. We were in that UEFA final. We were in the Europe when we lost to Galatasaray in penalties. Um, and then uh, the final uh, that haunts me as well, the one to Barcelona in the Champions League and uh, the final of the Europa Cup, Cup Winners' Cup when we lost that Naeem goal. You know, we've had a quite 
you know, we definitely lost far more finals than we've won because we only won one of those. Um, so it is something we've got to really work on, especially now that Man City joins that group, whether their trophies are worthless or not. The fact remains, if you look at the teams that we're up against season, season out, we're the only ones without a European trophy or a big European trophy or European Champions League, I should say, um, because all the others have that. Um, and I don't even include Spurs in it because, you know, they're not, they don't win any trophies anyway. But if you look at it, Chelsea, City, Liverpool, Man United, um, they're all in there with a European uh, a Champions League trophy. Yeah. And, it, you know, and there's an argument to be made over the next few years that the Champions League is probably going to be an easier trophy for us to win than the Premier League. Possibly so, yeah, yeah. Like, like we, you've mentioned before as well. When it's a knockout com- competition, you, you know, look, you think about that zero six team um, with Flamini at left back. So oh, we had Senderots playing centre off. Yeah, it, it yeah. was. You know that if you look, I think it was. I think Abue, Flamini, Senderots, and it was probably a mixture of Seagan and Sol Campbell at that point because Campbell was having some injury issues that's the back line that I don't know if they still hold it but they held the record for the most Champions League clean sheets it just shows you doesn't it you just you just have that um stroke of I wouldn't say luck but you just need something to click for you in the yeah. in those two I mean, legs you can get a bit of luck too you know we were just talking about the pots well what if you get a group of Feyenoord Porto uh, Feyenoord, us, and then you get Red Star Belgrade, and then we get Celtic, or we get Union Berlin from Pot 4. Yeah. Right? All of a sudden, you're favourite to win. And I'm not disparaging any of them teams. Any of them teams can beat us, but I'm just saying you get that draw, and all of a sudden, you're favourites to win the group, right? So then you win the group, and you're playing a team who comes second in another group. Well, then all of a sudden, you've got Feyenoord for a place in the quarters. And you beat Feyenoord to get into the quarters. And then who are you going to draw in the quarters? You might get lucky and get, say, Red Bull Salzburg, who just happened to knock Barcelona out. So there there is a bit of luck because you've got, you know, you've got luck in who you get in the draw. Um, Obviously, in in a cup competition like this, it goes to penalties. So then you've got a bit more chance of of lottery wins. And I don't think we need that because I think there's an argument to be made that we're a top five team in Europe. So I'm not saying we need this luck or anything, but you can win a Champions League, luckily. I mean, perfect example, and this is a bit of a weird one because Real Madrid just seem to have some sort of voodoo in this competition. I don't know what it is, but they've got some kind of magic. But last year, they should have been thumped by Paris Saint-Germain. They got through. They should have been thumped by Chelsea. Somehow they got through. They should have been thumped by Man City. Somehow they got through. And then they managed to beat Liverpool in the final, a Liverpool team that was so far superior to them. So you can, Real are probably not the best example just because of how good they are in that competition, regardless of what sort of team they've got. But you, mm. you can win in that competition without being the best team. Whereas I think in the league, I don't think any of us are going to argue that last season, it is last season now, Manchester City were the best team in the league. Right, so yeah. there's there's no argument yeah. over the Especially... course of the season. Man City were the best team in the league, so they won after 38 games. All right, they won the Champions League last year, but they didn't win it the year before when they were also the best team in Europe. So I don't think the best team doesn't always win in a cup competitions where 
99 times out of 100, they're going to in a league. Especially in the final, um, because that's the one-off, isn't it? I, you know, people could argue that Man City did beat Inter Milan, but it was no way what people thought it was going to be. They said it was going to be an absolute hammering. They were going to win 5-0 or whatever. It wasn't like that at all. It could have gone the other way if Lukaku didn't play defender in that game. So it's it 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 really is um it like you said it really comes down to how you perform in those games and not the best team always wins liverpool won it in 05 they were not the best team in england at that time by you know they were relatively decent but they were nowhere the they had like vladimir schmitzer in their team and dudek in goal and well, you you have you, you know. get teams that are cup teams as well right like we've yeah. seen this in the not so distant past where you're a better cup team. And, and you know, and we when we were winning a lot of them FA Cups on the spin, it was at that point where we had one player with a bit of magic, right? Be it Alexis or, or, or Ramsey, and we're relying on one player. And then everyone else is just holding it tight and holding it together. Over 38 games, you're not going to be able to sustain that. Over seven games, you can. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you, you know, you go back to that 0-6 team, you know, Omri was just outstanding in, in that game against Real Madrid, I remember. And then you had Fabregas in the Juventus game. You know, you just have to, you, one player can be that player in your in the tournament um, and they're not necessarily that player in the league. It's just, um, it, it really is. So you, you make a good point. We probably do have a better chance in the Champions League than we do. In uh, and also, yeah, um, Spanish teams do do very well in the Champions League. They have historically done well, but at the moment, the Premier League is leading, and I think this season highlighted that by the fact that West Ham won the conference and City won the Champions League. So I think you are looking at a level down in Europe um, than what it used to be before. So in the days when George Graham was managing. Uh, that was that great AC Milan team, the great AC Milan team of uh, that were just unstoppable in Europe at that time. Um, so you had more, I felt you had more forces in Europe and the Italian league at that time was the top league in the world. Well, so I, think I, think that's, gonna... I think that's it, right? It, that, that's more the case. Like the Premier League is just the strongest league in the world yeah. by a distance. And the reason the Premier League doesn't sweep up every year in Europe is because most of our teams don't take it seriously. West Ham took that conference league seriously. And they won it. And I honestly, I think Villa are probably going to win it next year. They'll start as favourites, as far as I'm concerned, because they'll they'll go all out for it. And we will, I would imagine, who we got. Liverpool are going to be the favourites for the Europa League, right? And mm. then and then Man City are going to be the favourites for the for the Champions League. I, I just yes. I think the Premier League is the Premier League is just so strong compared to every other league at the moment that finishing second in the Premier League. I think we'd win all the other major leagues. And and that's correct about the Europa. See, the Europa Cup, the, the thing with the Europa League is that it's going to involve teams that might be challenging for the title. So that's why there's less of an importance on it. But for the conference, these are teams that very have not been in Europe often. They will take it seriously because you saw how big it was for West Ham to win that trophy, how much it meant to them. Um, and the standard of who they're playing is nothing compared to anything they're playing in the Premier League at all. Well, it's, um, it's the I'm... League Cup, right? Like if the Champions League is the yeah. Premier League, the Europa League is the FA Cup, and the Conference League is the League Cup. That's it's kind of a perfect analogy for it. Yeah, 
that 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 is that is probably the analogy you would give. Um, I would I would probably then uh, you know so with the uh, with the League Cup domestically, I think only Man City or perhaps United take that one seriously. To you, be honest, I mean Man City take it seriously because they can field two yeah. first 11s. No one else yeah. can. So I don't think anyone takes it seriously until you get to the quarters or maybe the semi-finals. Man City are just putting out a team that you think is first choice, and then when you look at it, you go, "Oh, actually, if they were playing in the in the league on Saturday, they'd make eight changes to it." You just don't notice because they're all fifty million pound players on two hundred grand a week. They can just do yeah. that. Everyone, no one else can. But you know, United this year just happened to get a fucking shit ton of home draws against shit teams all the way up through until the semi-final, at which point you go, oh, maybe we should take this seriously because we're in the semi. Would you say they've been, um, speaking of United, would you say they've been the biggest facade this season? Um, Out of all the teams that we hear about, would you say they've been the biggest one in terms yeah, of I think, height, not... I think so. Yeah. I think so. I, I do, yeah. I think, them, I, I think there's some of that with Newcastle too. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what Newcastle are going to do this summer, but if you asked me right now who the top four is going to be, I wouldn't think that Newcastle would be particularly close. Whereas I do think United are probably going to end up fourth next year. Um, but yes, the hype, it, it's the hype they had, right? That, that's what it really comes down to. It's not the fact that they're a terrible team, you know, they're not Chelsea. Um, but it's the fact that they were being talked up as treble winners and, you know, and they came back from the World Cup and they played a bunch of shit teams at home and they steamrolled them and everyone went fucking nuts. And then all of a sudden they finished that, you know, they they then played us, we beat them. And then they had a run of teams that weren't relegation fodder and they started dropping points left, right and centre because that's yeah, they're, they're, what they are, you know. Their head-to-head against the top six teams, top four teams was not good at all. At, at all well, they're not, they're, they're not a very good... But, they're not a really good team. They're they're a decent side for for what mm. they are. Um, I, I personally, I don't think they're particularly far along in the rebuild. I think the next part of the rebuild might be. I think they might take a next a step back next season. Basically, is what I'm trying to say because I don't think that the way they were playing and the way they were winning games this year, one, I don't think is sustainable. Um, but two, I don't think that's how their manager wants them to play and win games. And I think what they've got to do now is they've now got to do the switch, right? They've got to go from trying to dig in and win games 1-0 and hold out and hope that Casemiro don't get sent off. They've now got to switch from that to being front-footed and controlling games. And that is a big ask. So it would not surprise me if they actually took a step backwards next season. And I think also plays into your point about um, the hyping. The hyping, and you've, you've mentioned this before, but if you look at mainstream punditry, they're mainly ex-Manchester United players yeah. or have some affiliation with Manchester. Yeah. You know, it, you know, there's different reasons. I mean, United are always going to be pumped up and they're always going to be hyped like that. And and right. like I said, I think Newcastle as well. I don't think Newcastle really fit the bill for a fourth-place team. I think if you look at all the metrics, the, the underlying stuff, um, they were actually below uh, Liverpool and Brighton for most of the mm. metrics. They were actually very similar to Spurs. When you when you look at the actual the actual underlying numbers of it all, they just got a lot of one nil wins. That if you play them games ten times, you might get that result three or four. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're playing mm-hmm. the odds, I don't think that repeats too often. Um, but they're another team that are, you know United are rebuilding. Newcastle are building. 
they're building and they're, they're very early on in the process. Um, they're going to throw a shitload of money at it. I believe is the Nicolo Barella deal sealed. They're, they're close. If, if it's not, sealed, yeah, they're they're close yeah, they, they are 50 million, you know, that's going to be a, that's going to be a big, big thing for them. I think they've got a lot of work to do still. I think they've got a lot of work to do at the back in particular. Um, but again, I think that because it's Eddie Howe, who for some reason that the English press fucking love Eddie Howe. I can't stand him. I think he's a prick, but they absolutely love Eddie Howe. And I think because of that, and because it was a little bit surprising where they where they ended up this year, I think they got overhyped a little bit too. Well, they just need another big sponsorship um, to come through because um, they just had one um, that apparently they they had touted it as being a very competitive process. That's right. There were there were fifteen <laughs> bids. They were all by the same Saudi firm, but there were fifteen bids. The, all different sub, sub, subsidiaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was they so just, hilarious. They just like changed one letter. In the, yeah. in the company name on the bid, but yeah, I mean, obviously, you you know, we know that's we know that's coming, and that that deal that you're talking about with a shirt, the Saudi shirt sponsor. Now we've got an interesting thing, right? Because the Premier League rules say that you can't do that. An owner's company like Gazprom were not allowed to sponsor Chelsea because Abramovich owned Gazprom. So now we've got something interesting because this company that's sponsoring them are, surprise, surprise, Saudi Arabian, which means they are owned by the PIF because everybody is owned by the PIF. So what are the Premier League going to do about this? Mm. Well, it goes back to that those 115 charges because I think that's going to set the benchmark, isn't it? If, if, yeah. if they get... uh, the thing with that is I think we're, I think we're two years away. You know I mean, like, I, this isn't going to be. This isn't going to be quick. Any hopes we had that it was going to be quick, it, it, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. We're a long way away, and obviously, Man City want to try and push it off as as long as they can, basically, and they're going to be able to push it off for a year or two at least. Well, that's probably why Newcastle are doing what they're doing because they they know it's going to take time for any form of decision on that anyway. And then, yeah, you're hoping you've then... already you've already done it, right? Like, yeah. like Man City have already whatever happens here. Man City have already reaped the fruits of the cheating. It's yeah. already done. No matter what you do, this has happened. So whatever you do in retrospect, even if you relegated Man City, it's not going to make that much difference. It's like when Serie A, it's like in uh, in Italy when, when Juventus got relegated to Serie B. <laughs> what difference did it make? They spent one year in Serie B, they pissed it, they came back up to Serie A and they're back challenging for the title again the next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, it's uh... It's all. Um, we'll all see what happens with this Man United takeover as well, because uh, it's not. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll again in the next few days. We should have a bit more clarity on that, and we will touch on that when when that happens for sure. Because right. I think it's a it's a very very big moment for the Premier League. That very big because you have never seen a legacy club with that kind of backing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Man U, uh, Man City, and Newcastle getting that is one thing, and Chelsea to an extent. It takes a while to build and stuff. With Man United, it's kind of like unlimited if they get yeah. them. So it will be it will be very very interesting to see what happens when with that one. So, all right, pass. Well, um, thanks for tonight, mate, and uh, I will catch you next time. Cheers, Gav. Good Thank night. You.